Hello, and welcome to Twice Deleted. My name's Erica, and I'm going to be sharing my experience with you as I supported my adult daughter through two severe psychotic episodes and the healing and rebuilding of her life. There was a lot involved, and right now I'm on a mission to increase awareness about psychosis, talk about a parent's critical role in the healing process, and increase awareness about alternative healing methods. So I'm going to go ahead and jump right in. But what I'm going to talk about today is how we found our way to seeking out energy healing and shamanic services. So I'm going to talk about the initial psychotic episode. And to give a little bit of background, my daughter Maggie who was 25 at the time, had recently returned home. Um, She was just kind of needing a little bit of space, and I felt like it was a transition time for her. She was finding out what she wanted to do with her life at this point. And so she had been home for a couple of weeks, and I work in the school setting, so I was just starting my summer break. And this was at the end of May in 2017. Actually, it was May 27th. I remember very clearly because my husband and I were getting ready to take a trip to go see our son in Ukraine. So we were super excited about this. Maggie was home. She was going to take care of the house. All was great. And I woke up Saturday morning at about 7 to find Maggie laying on the living room floor. And I thought, what, what's going on? My first thought was that she had fallen asleep. She had always been a little bit of a night owl. So I, I just assumed. So I went to try and wake her up uh, to tell her to go to her room. And she didn't respond by opening her eyes or anything like that. What she did was she giggled. And I thought, well, this is strange. So I went ahead and shook her a little bit more and said, Maggie, Maggie, uh, you know, get up. And she did the same thing. So she didn't open her eyes and she just giggled. And the first thought that came into my head actually was, I wonder if she's in a different state of consciousness. Because Maggie had historically been a person who was very spiritual. In her younger years, she would talk about astral travel and tell me about some experiences that she had. And so for us, that wasn't out of the ordinary. So I thought, well, you know, I just need to kind of ride this out. And so I went ahead and went about my business in the morning. And I know that might sound strange to some, but that's exactly what I did. Um, I went to the store. I think I might have even gone to the gym. I can't remember. But when I came back, Maggie was still on the floor. Now, she had moved across the room, but she was still on the floor and still was demonstrating that same response when I was trying to wake her up. So at this point, you know, my husband and I were like, what are we supposed to do here? And we didn't have any history of mental illness in our family. So I didn't have any awareness of you know, psychotic episodes or anything like that. So that just wasn't even in my mind. And so I called my older daughter who lives in town and I was explaining to her the situation and, and, you know, what, what I was thinking that, you know, maybe she was in another 
state of consciousness. And my daughter said, well, that might be, but we need to think about her physical well-being. And the fact was is that she hadn't had any water. She hadn't had any food. And by this time, I believe it was around noon. Um, so it, you know, it had, had been a significant period of time that had passed. So my husband and I decided to go ahead and take her to the emergency room. So we put her in the car and, and we went down there and they gave her an IV and eventually she started coming to and she was combative. So they had a nurse in there with her, which they called a sitter. And as the the day, the afternoon went on, she started opening her eyes and, and things like that. But she wasn't oriented to time or space. She didn't know the date. Uh, when we would ask her a question, she j- basically just looked at us with a blank stare. And, you know, that was really scary because I thought, well, here she's back, but she's not back. And so as the night went on, the doctors wanted to rule out drugs And so they did a lot of blood work and all of those sorts of things. And I knew that Maggie had been a a pot smoker here and there. So I expected that they would find THC in her blood, which they did. But they didn't find anything else. So they just continued to monitor her. You know, physically, she was okay. And eventually, they discharged her at about 1 a.m., And the doctors really didn't know what to tell me. They thought that maybe she had gotten her hands on some spice, which is a chemical form of marijuana. And I had no idea. So we took her home and we were hoping that in the morning she would wake up better. I mean, more herself and having had this incident pass and, you know, the nightmare be over. And I was concerned, though, about how I was going to find her when she woke up because she still wasn't quite right when they discharged her. So I put a mattress outside of her bedroom door and slept there so that I could, you know, be with her right when she woke up. I honestly was afraid to sleep in her room because she just didn't look right. I mean, there was no light in her eyes and she was acting so strange. I just... I just didn't want to be in there. And I thought, you know, maybe she needed her space too. So when she woke up in the morning, it was a, it was early. It was about 5 a.m. So she had only gotten, you know, just a few hours of sleep. And so when she got, when she woke up, she stood up and I was up and I said, Maggie, are you okay? How are you feeling? And she's, started making clicks and winks at me as a response to my question. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, we're still in this horrible nightmare. And so I asked her again, you know, are you okay? How are you doing? And she did the same thing. And to me, it was very evident that she was purposefully answering my question. I mean, she the clicks and winks were purposeful. And so I thought, you know, what? what is this? And is she still in another state of consciousness, like stuck in some other dimension? I had no idea, but that's, that's what I was still thinking. 
And so all I knew to do at that point was try and take care of her on a physical level. So I asked her if she needed to use the bathroom and she just still could not respond to me. So she did, she did go into the bathroom and she started getting frustrated with me because I was asking her questions and asking her if she wanted to wash her face and this sort of thing. And she started pushing me away and kind of grunting and definitely communicating to me that she wanted me out. So I just stood outside of the bathroom and she hung out in there, not really doing anything. And my other, my oldest daughter, who I had mentioned lived, lived in the area, came over because she wanted to see Maggie. So Maggie, as she was in the bathroom, was escalating and she start was starting to make really rapid arm movements and body movements, kind of in a dancing motion, but it wasn't really purposeful. And she was almost in using a sing-song voice, but it, nothing was was something that I could understand. And so once my daughter got there, she went into the bathroom uh, to see if she could connect with Maggie. And the things that she was saying to her were, you know, Maggie, we love you, you know, please come back to us and things like that. And she was in there for, I would say, a good 20, 25 minutes. And I'm standing kind of pacing out in the hallway. And all of a sudden, Maggie, clear as day, said, Mom knows. Mom knows. And then she went back to doing what she was doing before. And I thought, holy, you know what? I mean, I was just, I must be right. I mean, I have to be right. Why else would she out of the blue say, mom knows, mom knows in clear English when she can't even speak? So that was all great and fine, but I didn't know what to do with that information. And all I knew was that we needed to get Maggie help with the best way that I knew how. So we called 911 and they transported Maggie to the emergency room. And my husband and my daughter and I followed. And when we went into the emergency entrance, I asked for Maggie. And I was expecting to have the same experience that I had had the night before. But no, no, no. Oh, my goodness. I was shocked when they said, we don't we, we can't tell you if Maggie's here or not. We can't tell you anything because she's an adult. And I just was completely shocked and stunned. I, I just get words cannot describe the feelings that I was having because I hadn't then I had no access to her. How was I going to find out if she was okay? And you know, once a mom, always a mom, no, no matter how old your kids are. So I appealed to this nurse again, you know, please, you, you've got to at least tell me if she's okay. I mean, I know she's here because we followed the ambulance over. And she just kept saying the same script over and over again. And I was pacing in the, in the, in the waiting room. I just d didn't know what to do. And I kept appealing to other staff that walked by, you know, you've, you've got to help me. I mean, there's something that, that can be done. 
And so finally, someone said that if we go over to the crisis response center, that if we petition to have Maggie evaluated, then we as the petitioners would have access to some information. And so that's exactly what we did. It was a very simple process. And we went back to the hospital. And finally, the social worker was able to to tell us some things. And I feel like the most important thing that she told us was how she described where Maggie was, because it at least gave me a visual uh, that Maggie was comfortable. I mean, my mind was going to, oh my gosh, did they put her in a straitjacket? You know, is she locked up in a room? And all of those sorts of things. But she was apparently very comfortable in a room with a bed. She had access to a telephone, which was great, but she didn't, you know, couldn't reach out because she wasn't uh, in touch with reality at that point. So, you know, that settled me down a little bit. We stayed quite some time at the hospital. And then finally, the social worker told us that they were going to keep her overnight for observation. And I was actually relieved because I thought, well, maybe we'll get some answers. And so we went home and, you know, had a horrible sleepless night. We woke up the next day. We weren't able to see her, so we didn't go to the hospital, but we stayed home and waited for a call, hopefully, when they were going to discharge her. So it was about one o'clock in the afternoon when we heard from the psychiatrist. And he went on to explain to me that he really felt that her symptoms and her presentation were induced by drugs and whether that was from, you know, spice or I mean, I guess it had to be because she didn't she didn't test positive for anything else. So he instructed us to just create a space that was very quiet and not a lot of stimulation and comfortable for Maggie. And he assured us that over the next few days that she would clear and be more herself as she came out of this. So we went to pick her up and she was able to answer questions on a single word basis. Um, There was not any depth to her at all. She had, you know, not a lot of light in her eyes. She just looked flat. But we we, we brought her home and we did exactly what the doctor told us to do. So we just kind of sat around and, you know, we were going to cook her some food and things like that. And all of a sudden she starts escalating again. And she started doing the same thing she had done the previous day. And because the doctor had told us, you know, that this was going to get better, my husband and I decided not to take her back to the hospital because we thought that we might get the same response or the same interventions and they were just going to send her home. We, we didn't know, uh, but we decided to go ahead and ride the wave. And as the day progressed, Maggie just kept working herself into a frenzy. And by the afternoon, you know, late afternoon, she was still, you know, she was making all of those arm movements. She was very active. She was sweating. She wouldn't eat anything. By this time, she was on the floor in the living room. So she wasn't 
walking around the house. She wasn't using the bathroom or anything like that. We tried everything under the sun to get her to eat. My husband even made her cookies thinking that, you know, the smell would entice her and nothing. So finally, late at night, I would say around nine or 10, Maggie started inching her way to the bathroom. Now, prior to this, I had tried to get her to get in the bathtub because I thought maybe it would ground her. You know, the water is very grounding, but she didn't want to have anything to do with it. So I had before, you know, turned on the bathtub and said, come on, Maggie, let's take a bath. And, you know, she didn't really respond to that. So but later on that night, she started inching her way uh, into the bathroom and she basically slithered into the bathtub that had absolutely no water in it. So I turned on the water. I thought, oh, thank God, you know, we're going to be able to get her maybe some more calm. And it, it did work. I mean, she fell asleep in the bathtub. I mean, the poor girl had to be exhausted. So after the bath, you know, once she fell asleep, we were able to get her in bed and she slept I would say five hours. So she got up the next morning and wasn't as escalated as far as her energy level, but she still wasn't Maggie. She was not responding to questions. She would speak, but she would ask her dad if she could go to the bathroom. It it was almost as if she was like a three or four year old in a an adult body. And when she would ask if she could go to the bathroom, he would say, yes, of course. And she'd say, are you sure? Are you sure? I mean, everything was just, you know, she just seemed very fearful of everything. The other thing she did was she would go in the backyard and build altars with the little stones and rocks that we have back there and just kind of wander around. And again, she still really had no light in her eyes. So my husband and I decided to that we needed to take her to the crisis response center because we had exhausted all of what we knew to do. Obviously, what the doctor told us wasn't working. And she was she you know, she still wasn't eating or drinking. So we went ahead and took her down there, and as we were entering through the double doors, I think she realized, you know, that she was going to be going somewhere she didn't want to go, and she was really resistive. So my poor husband had to basically force her in there, and then two of the guys came out and took her back, and, you know, that was obvious, that was such a heart wrenching experience. Um, And it was the hardest decision of our lives. So to continue, she went ahead and was, you know, process, they processed her and they ended up transferring her to a behavioral health hospital. And so for us, at least I, I felt a sense of relief I didn't know what was going to happen from this point forward, but it gave me some space to just kind of breathe and 
cry and grieve and, you know, everything that someone does during a traumatic experience. So I reached out to my family for prayers and support. And I have three sisters, three amazing sisters. And one of my sisters had had, she, she, she called me because she had some information that she thought I needed to know. So what had happened was she had had an appointment with someone and wanted to give the person a heads up that she wasn't really present uh, fully because her niece was in a behavioral health hospital and all of this stuff was going on. And so the person that she was talking to said, oh, my gosh, I need to tell you about uh, this documentary, Crazy Wise, and my sister. And so she proceeds to tell my sister about this documentary, Crazy Wise, which talks about how Western medicine treats mental illness and how other cultures treat mental illness, uh, Eastern cultures and indigenous cultures. And it highlights two people in that documentary. And one of them is a woman who now goes by Gogo Akaya Asima. And Gogo is means shaman in the Sangoma tradition. So Gogo Akaya was highlighted in the documentary because she had a good portion of her life where she spent time in a mental health hospital. Uh, she was suicidal. She, you know, was having some mental health and emotional crises in her life. And eventually she found her way to spiritual healing and found out that in her ancestry, there was uh, shamans, you know, this was part of her family, this is what they did. And so she went on to learn and become a shaman. And she dedicates her work and her life to helping others with energy healing, and helping them, you know, through crises, you know, like that, that Maggie was in. So I was like, Oh, my gosh, are you kidding? This is awesome. Can this woman help me? Because I still believed that, you know, this was the way to go. I had had that original sign where where Maggie said, Mom knows, Mom knows. And now I have my sister calling me telling me that coincidentally, she has this person that told her about a shaman that can help. And about this documentary. So I, I did uh, watch the documentary and it's it's very good. I would highly recommend it if you have any situations like this going on in your family. Uh, it's very interesting. Um, and so I was able to get on the phone with Gogo Akaya and I explained to her what happened, uh, you know, what was going on with Maggie and she assured me that she could help. And I didn't know what that help was going to look like. I didn't know how she was going to do it. But I just knew that that's what we needed to do. 
And so I went ahead and scheduled a three-day retreat with her. And the tricky part of that was is that I wasn't sure when Maggie was going to get discharged from the hospital. The hospital had told me that she would be in there for maybe a week, two at the most. And so we kind of put this actual scheduling on hold, but I knew what I wanted to do. And I also needed to get Maggie on board because I wasn't sure that she was going to want to do this. And I really didn't know what things were going to be like. As I was talking to Gogo Akaya, you know, Maggie was not stable at all. And it took us about five days to even get information about her, really, because she had to sign a consent and she wasn't capable of doing that. She didn't understand it. But the caseworker there had assured me that she would attempt to have Maggie sign it every day, if not multiple times a day. And that's what she did. And I was so grateful for her because it was the same situation that we had in the in the um, at the hospital in the emergency room that I couldn't have access to any information. So eventually Maggie signed it and I was able to communicate with nurses and talk to Maggie. I could call in and, and she could call out, but she never did. I mean, at least not in, in the beginning. And when I talked to Maggie, what she wanted me to do was to bring her pictures of her family and her friends because she said she needed to be remembering. And so to me, that was another sign. Like she was with it enough to know like, I felt like she was trying to get back. So that was just another sign that I was on the right direction. Uh, I mean, on the right path. And so as time went on, Maggie became more able to have a conversation. And I went ahead and told her about Gogo Akaya and what I wanted to do. And she was, she she seemed open to it. Uh, I was very passionate about it. And honestly, once I realized that we had this path to take, I was extremely relieved. And so I think that she heard in my voice, you know, some hopefulness. And she said that she would go. And she said that she would go if I went with her and if I did the three-day retreat with her. And so that was what our plan was. Now, in the meantime, one of the very first things I did that I forgot to mention uh, once Maggie was admitted to the Behavioral Health Hospital was I reached out to a psychic to see if I could get an appointment because I wanted to find out, you know, what was happening and I had had experiences with people who are extremely intuitive and, you know, quote unquote, psychic and, and, and good experiences. And and so I ended up getting an appointment with someone here. And he basically told me that Maggie's energy field had opened. And so we all have an energy field or a subtle body. And normally it's closed, I guess. And he said hers opened up and that this was part of the problem. And so that was another sign. And I thought, oh my gosh, okay, this is great. This is wonderful. And I told Maggie that because I wanted her to hear that I was getting 
what I consider to be signs, you know, I say the universe or spirit um, that was guiding me along my way because I knew that she would believe that. And so, and she did. So we were, we waited um, to kind of find out more about a discharge date. And they didn't discharge her for three weeks. So it took that long to get her to where they thought, you know, they could send her home. And there was another sign, actually, in the meantime, all of a sudden, one day, I got a text from my sister who had spoken to this person telling her about the shaman. And there was a picture of a license plate that said, go, go one. And she said, can you believe this, Erica? And I was like, yes, I can, because that's another sign that I'm supposed to take Maggie to the shaman. And so, you know, we, we were just kind of playing the waiting game. So finally, they discharged her at three weeks. And I, we went, my husband and I went to go pick her up. And she was, oh, goodness, how do I describe it? I felt like she was completely over-medicated. Her eyes were droopy. Her gait, you know, the way she walked wasn't quite normal. She was just blah. And Maggie had always been a super bright light, really cheery. Everybody loves her, very social, Um, So this was just the complete opposite of who I knew my daughter to be. And I just remember making eye contact with my husband, and I think we were both thinking the same thing, absolute devastation. And momentarily, I completely forgot about going to see the shaman because I was so struck and hit like by a truck with the presentation of my daughter. So... We ended up, you know, we brought her home and we had about a week to wait to be able to go see Gogo Akaya. Now, Gogo Akaya is located in California and I live in Arizona. So we were going to have to take a road trip, which was fine. I mean, at that point, Maggie's presentation was okay. I felt safe to do that. But what happened was, is that Maggie decided not to take her medication. And I thought, oh, no, because I had to wait an entire week. And I was really worried that every day that she wasn't taking the medication, that she would revert back to how she was when we took her to the crisis response center. And I wouldn't be able to get her to California. And... I thought, well, there's nothing I can do. I mean, I just have to hope and pray that that's not the case. So every day when Maggie woke up, it was, you know, very, it was traumatizing to me. I mean, very scary because I didn't know what I was going to wake up to. And, you know, it did, it did happen that every day she was a little bit more out of touch with me and herself, and she was demonstrating behaviors, really obsessive compulsive behaviors, like cleaning the countertops in the entire house, and just, it, um, what else was she doing? She was, you know, not sleeping. She wasn't sleeping well. 
Um, she would want to get out of the house, so we would go out or we would go to the store, which was a little dicey. I'm not going to lie. I mean, because she wanted to talk to everybody. She was super friendly, uh, but she wasn't she wasn't acting appropriately, let's say that. So I I just waited and finally the day came when we were supposed to leave to go see the shaman. And I was very excited, although I was terrified to make that drive with her. And I really don't know how I did it, but I did it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and close right now. What I'd like to do is talk about our time with the shaman in a separate episode. So today, what I really wanted to get across was all of the signs and all of the messages that pointed us in the direction of the shaman. And in my opinion, it was Maggie's saving grace. So I'm excited for our, our the next episode to talk about that experience. And I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my podcast. And I appreciate it. And I will talk to you next time. <music>